This is Exit the Matrix new series where we cover the latest breaking news. Follow us on IG at Matrix Podcast and send your questions and comments to us at Exit the Matrix Podcast at gmail.com. This is EMP Pulse, and I am Emoja the Mo Man Sumbler. Over the last week, although it should have been on every American news media, uh, it was barely touched. Uh, in a place called the South China Seas, apparently there was a standoff between the United States Navy and the Chinese Navy. It was tense enough that China tested a ballistic missile as a warning. It's wow. kind of like, think about it in the hood when you see a motherfucker keep coming by your house and you let a couple rang in the air and shit. Yeah. Like <laughs> that's essentially what China did. They let something they, ring in the air. They let it ring with a in ballistic the air. missile. With a ballistic missile, it was called an aircraft carrier killer. So, so you know what I'm saying you done fucked up. Now right. that so yeah, so that is um, that happened. What last week? It happened within seven days. So me and you have been talking about this. I think as revolutionaries as uh, at least you know radical non-oppression anti-oppression activists anti-oppression activists we have to have a talk and I think that has to be about the world of geopolitics and China being the forefront of the new propaganda of look how they're ruining the world look at their human rights violations and then America just gets to say check it out over there and then we don't talk about it here classic misdirection right look at the hands look at the hand don't look at the hands don't look at the hands look at the eyes look at the eyes you know uh classic misdirection because all of those things you could throw on china you can throw back on the united states for every time you talk about a uyghur camp we can talk about uh ice camps yeah the ice camps you know what i'm saying where like literally kids are being taken away so it's like you know again it's not to, to big up either one it's just to say this is the way that powerful countries interact as it exists, whether you're talking about quote unquote authoritarian China or quote unquote democratic the United States of America. I think people always think we agree on every single topic, and that's just not true. Right. We cross. There's discourse everywhere, but I think let's go back to the Hong Kong protests. Right. Whatever your decision is about the rights of the Hong Kongers versus the state of China, that's a conversation to have. But let's be very clear. Both sides of the American propaganda machine and the Chinese propaganda machine are going to use that as a pawn piece. Yeah, you can talk about the actual implications of a protest in Hong Kong and what that means for the people, but also the larger implications on how each side is going to play this for their particular propaganda. Again, look at how much, you know, sympathy the United States press gave the poor people of Hong Kong that are being oppressed by a government that they feel like doesn't represent them. And then compare and contrast that with the way that those same media outlets portrayed Black Lives Matter protest in the United States of America. How is it everything the kids in Hong Kong are doing is brilliant and insightful and this is nonviolent resistance at its best when these motherfuckers were throwing Molotov cocktails at the fucking military, bro? Like setting bricks all along along major roads, completely stopping trains from going. Like Hong Kong was so far beyond nonviolent resistance, you know what I'm saying, to the point. But I was like, wow, American media is into this kind of shit? we tear down a statue the rioters are taking over the anarchists uh, pa- have passive come. construction when when statues are taken down when statues are taken when down statues are taken down yeah but who by whom we don't know they we just were know. taken down 
My son we don't know. did nothing they, wrong. They were there, and then they weren't there. You know. And I, I, again, it's it's a conversation that I think is important just to, directly to China, but we can take to many other places. We were just talking about the House of Saud. You know, they're an incredibly oppressive regime uh, throughout the, the the world. But again, they're still pawns in a much larger larger scheme. You know, we were just watching um British Empire. Ask yourself why the Royal House of Britain why they're not on any Fortune 400 list. Why they're not on a Fortune 100 list as far as, like, wealthiest people in America. It's nothing personal for me. It's just business. Because, you know, when you start to look at the wealth of monarchs, you know, the House of Saud, the House of the fucking, the, the British, it's wealth on a level that literally goes beyond computation. Yeah. Centuries and centuries of priceless things. I mean, just imagine how much... The crown jewels have to be worth. Right. Think about the real estate holdings just across the world. All of the things that are still subject to the, the to the weight of the crown. But like it leads us to how countries like the United States and China can have these things that would look like incredibly violent, terrible things. Best believe Iran could never fire a ballistic missile <laughs> with any type of fucking, you know, naval prize presence. Because, again, the consequences would be immediate. Like, oh, oh, really? You know what I'm saying? But China is large enough to the point where it's like none of us really want to fight. Like, or hopefully everybody truly believes none of us really want to fight. But we going to posture the fuck up. It goes to a concept, hegemony. Hegemony is leadership or dominance especially by one country or social group. The thing about hegemony is you can never receive any type of challenge anywhere because you have to be able to take it on. The point about being a hegemonic power is you don't concede anything. You assume anywhere where conflict happens, you have the decisive tactical and strategic advantage. This is something that the United States has had really since the fall of the Soviet Union and really before then because they were never really truly in a position to have a protracted war with the United States of America. But China has now reached a point of technological advantage where it's not to say their shit is better, but it's close enough to the point whereas it would almost be a fair fight. And that's just not something that countries want to do anymore. Yeah, so what you do is you have wars in other ways. You know what right. I'm saying? Proxy the, uh, wars. Exactly. So, Or sanctioning, or trade deals, or debt, like the amount of debt, debt. that America is in to right. a country like Japan or China. a country like China. Or the House of Saud. Exactly. I mean, anybody that can buy a, a fucking Federal Reserve note, which again, anybody can do this. I'm a capitalist. Countries do it all the time to bolster their economic reserves. All you ever have to do is just trade in the debt. I mean, that's economic warfare, which is something that most Americans aren't even, I mean, like, unless you're like a fucking uh, a forensic accountant and shit like that, people don't tend to think about those other things. But Von Clausewitz said, a war is a continuation of politics through other means. So like, if, if you're thinking about it like that, then everything becomes possible. So with China and the United States, how did it even get there? So there's a place called the South China Seas. And one of the things that China has been doing is dredging up islands out of nothing creating sand, islands right and, and lots of countries are doing this like you know dubai UAE is prop dubai yeah this that's the number one where you see the yas island the netherlands you know do a lot of reclamation from the swamps to create islands right so this is technology that's existed but china's taking it to the next level because capitalism right there's this thing called exclusive economic zones and these are things that again it's too in-depth to go into on the regular podcast, but just for a breakdown, it's an area that only one country has access to, and it goes out 
you're you're given an exclusive economic zone forever how many miles out to sea you are. So China's flipped a game because it extends their exclusive economic zone this many more miles out into the sea. Now, back in the colonial days... A little days, loophole right there. Right, you would just have to take over a country, which is why America owns places like Guam, Puerto Rico... Even the Hawaiian Islands, right? This was a way to extend your economic exclusive zone. Yeah, we were talking about the British Empire as well. A country that I guess, like, I don't know, I guess people think that Britain is just, oh, they're cool now, right? Like, they're just chilling. That's all they do. They're over there. We saw no less than, like, 70 countries that they had some influence on in some capacity. That are still obligated to protect the crown in a in a in a case of war. They're called the um, the crown colonies, is what they were saying. I guess right. something new now, but we can yeah. call them crown colonies. Huh? How yep. about that? Yeah, and and countries exist to that that you wouldn't even consider, like Canada, Jamaica, right? They're still uh, they're Australia. They're still obligated to to respect and and pay deference to the crown, and so. This thing that's happening right now, once again, we can quote all of these problems back to a theoretical understanding of who has access to a resource, and we're almost at a point of war for it. These are the dangers that capitalism does. I am a capitalist. Yeah, so when you look at China and you're looking at a world power that we talk about this, we were talking about it last podcast, they are the leaders in rare earth elements, <laughs> rare earth minerals. So when you're looking at a place like Murica, because they're so anti-China, what they'll do is they'll just take over. Bolivia. I I, I I feel like I'm the local politic guy, right? Like I'm always like grassroots community and I feel like you're more the geopolitical person. But when we talk about things like defund the police, right? And using those resources and allocating them to better places. These things are important because the American war machine in the military industrial complex, industrial complex. is really why we can't have nice things. You want to create an entire utopia in America and throughout the world? allocate those resources and you were talking about it too mo man we were talking about fighter jets and things like that repurposing these things to put out fires in california utilizing these things to save people on coastal areas but instead of doing that we're using it for instruments of war and these things cost billions and billions and billions and the of best dollars. case scenario is you never have to use them right so you have to pay for them to have them and the best case scenario is you never use them because if you use them that means it's war right whereas again like when we talked about with the nationalized fire fire service right now those boeings are being used not in a theater of war but they're still being bought they're still being used. They're still a service. Even within for them. capitalism, they can still work without the military application. And think about dredging islands and creating new economic zones. I wonder about the economic impact, of course, but then also what type of environmental impact that'll have. Will these islands still be there in a hundred years, fifty years? What kind of a damage will it do to livestock or maybe maybe increase? Well, I think we talked also about the Gobi Desert and deserts themselves can be places, you know, where, um, you know, wildlife can can be. But I I think more of those places is where humans can live, you know, like you can create a place like like, you know, and like they do in like UAE and a lot of the Arab countries and just desert places where, you know, you can kind of create a little utopia for people. But when you create islands, we see it all the time with volcanic activity, creating larger islands, birds seals all kinds of the wildlife come around those areas it's another way where we can create environmental change and just to the uh, the larger point about the environment and the military like 
wars are the number one polluter in the world by far and it's not even close and that's the kind of stuff that personal use you know carbon uh recapture and 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 like that you'll never be able to do that right by saying i'm only gonna run my lights from you know seven to nine like i'm gonna recycle every you can never make that kind of a real impact although it's important to try what you can do just remember when we're talking about these as our goals to apply them on a larger scale and platform but this has been a pulse yeah and right before we pulse out of here i just wanted to mention one more thing because we hear a lot about china being like one of the biggest polluters in the world and so on and so forth there's 1.4 billion in china there's 330 million people we still use way 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 more per capita per than capita, any other absolutely. place in the world so um i just wanted to, to throw that in there uh this is the pulse i'm amin drew law this has been zimmerman and uh we're out